Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit Podcast. I'm Sean and here's Ronan. Hello everyone, thank you very much for joining us today. Sean, recently we headed to the south coast of England, as is our want, and we had a few days of playing lots of lovely board games, and this is our frontline report for LobsterCon, some number in the 20s, don't know. <laughs> 24, I believe, Mr. Rice. <laughs> Your job now is to keep track of that and not mine. <laughs> it's, uh, as you probably know, we've listened to us for a while. I think there's about 160 people this time based around London on board and a few local gamers and we head down and take over the Cumberland Hotel and just play games and the spring one is always very relaxed and much more about catching up with people and playing older games as opposed to there's always one just after Essen which is a bit more frantic and everyone's a bit more excitable. Yeah, because obviously everyone's playing the the latest hotness out of Essen and trying to get it down to the table but yeah, you're absolutely right this spring one was just what I needed, Ronan. Just a nice, relaxing time, no pressure, play some old favourites and have a nice time with nice people. So, we are going to run through, I don't know, some games that we played. And they're not proper reviews, they're just sort of impressions or thoughts or, you know, this is like, this is as relaxed as my weekend was. We're just going to talk about some games we played, Sean. Should we, should we just go, go into it? People know what we talk about. We talk about games. Yeah, let's talk about games. So, Talk to me about your first one, because I am interested in it. I have not played it yet. Okay, so I rolled in, and my whole ethos for the weekend was I'll play anything. I brought a few games. I wasn't too excited about getting them out. I certainly wanted to minimise the amount of teaching I did, which I was very successful at. So that was that was a happy thing. <laughs> and um, the first person we met was Adam. He's one of the organisers, so straight off the bat, big thank you to Adam and Alex and Alec and Mike and Chris and everyone who helps make the weekend run so smoothly and make it so stress-free. But Adam tested my philosophy from the off <laughs> by saying, oh, do you fancy playing Village Green? I couldn't at first heard or say not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a small box card game, right? It's Pier Sylvester. You are putting together stuff in the village green and everyone's doing it individually and you're drafting cards. And when I say stuff, that's because you're going to make a three by three grid and you're going to choose your own scoring things for the most part for each column and row that you have. So you're either drafting scoring cards that say score for every blue flower in this row, score for unique types of trees, what have you, or you're drafting the cards that fill out your grid. But when trying to make the perfect patterns, whenever anyone finishes their 3 by 3 grid, that's when you're all going to score individually. It's from Osprey's Pier Sylvester. It's linked to in everyone's mind to Village Rails, I think, and I didn't love Village Rails. Pier Sylvester, so I wasn't too sure about it. It's hard work. Definitely having a big think about it. It's difficult to get everything to line up. It's kind of a Pierce Sylvester signature to make you work hard for what you get. It's oddly satisfying. And we played it again immediately. Oh, okay. That's not where I thought that was going. <laughs> no, me neither. At the end of the day, I had a very good time with Village Green. Certainly very happy to play it again. And it's not quite good enough to force itself into, you know... You only have room for a certain number of these small, quicker games. But it was tickling along the edge. But it is a hard, frustrating fight. And it's not one of those relaxing, shorter games that you just sort of chill out and have a laugh. So you prefer this to Village Rails? Yeah, by a long shot. Well, right, lovely. 
We're going to move on to your next game. A little bit of a deeper episode. So, it's still with Adam, and then it turned out there was five of us, and everyone was still early on quite happy to play anything. We decided on Core Worlds. I, I thought there was more experience at the table of playing Core Worlds, the sci-fi deck builder in which you're over ten rounds moving in from the edge of a galaxy, an empire that's crumbling and taking over more and more advanced planets and drafting in more and more advanced units into your territory. And there's a sort of a two-layer thing where you play cards out and then those cards that you've got to play out, you use to attack certain planets to score your points and generate more energy and make you generally better. I thought there was more experience of playing Core Worlds at the table. Turns out Lily was one of the players. She'd never played a deck builder before. Ah, all right. There's a little bit of a barrier. <laughs> it is a barrier because I only found that out about 60% of the way through the game. So when oh. I explained the game, but I played deck builder was assumed knowledge. I didn't think to check that. Do you understand what all this what these? is? Is it on me? Is it on maybe her boyfriend to tell me? Anyway, that's fine. <laughs> She was doing fine, but you know, sometimes you kind of lose direction a bit. You're doing fine, something's functioning, and then you, you come across the next stage of a game, and you're like, oh, hold on. Yeah, because you haven't sort of seen ahead, you haven't been able to see through the system what you should be building towards, I should be saying. Like, you don't yeah, have a clear yeah. goal, yeah. So that was it. It needs repeated plays, Core Worlds, because it starts mm. off and it's all very simple, and you're like, yeah, get staff fighters, put them in, get infantry, put them in. And then you realise that if you have a bit of a plan, it's going to work a lot better for you. We played it with the guilds, whereby when you play certain cards, you put your own tokens on guilds, and you can use them for powers during the course of the game, which is generally a better idea-ish. Or you can build loads up on certain guilds and score those as points at the end of the game. And it gives you a bit more freedom and a bit more control on what you're doing. The one issue with Core Worlds that still remains is, and they tried to fix it in the Galactic Orders expansion is, if you and I are going for the same core world as each other, and they are quite a lot of points, and they are based around having different weightings between your, your infantry and your fleet strength, if we're both going for the, the majority fleet core world, let's say, to score points for all the starfighters in our deck, and you're before me in turn order in turn nine, you used to get it and I didn't, and it was a big difference on the game. They mitigated it a bit by having one off in the whole game in those rounds 9 and 10. If someone goes for it, you can put a sort of a, a token on it. And on your next turn, if you can take the same planet, then you both get the points for it. Yeah. And that helps a bit. But then what about if in turn 10 the same thing happens? Because you're still ahead of me in turn order. That has never fully been resolved. I was thinking like we could use our tokens and you could claim as many as you want. But then that almost takes turn order completely out of it which seems to go too far i don't know it's an issue with the game the whole rest of it though is fantastic it is one of the very first games that's sort of built on the initial we're just deck building to build a deck it's we're deck building but to do slightly more with it and it sort of took the idea of dominion and built on it and if we're talking about building on dominion you can tell how old this game is it's, it's been around for a long time but it still stands up and i think there are strategies within there that are worth exploring and i would just love to get core worlds to the table more often with the same people and it can only as i say get better and better in repeated plays so what was your gap between it playing this time at LobsterCon and, and the last time you played it? Well, that's a great question, and I certainly have that information to... Uh, <laughs> roughly, roughly. Was it was it a good few months? Was what? It years? I can't remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> gap! Jeez! <laughs> uh, it appears to be four years to my last play, and four years before that to my play before that. 
There you go. So is that is that a little bit of a problem still, given that we've slightly evolved from when we first played Cool Worlds? Is it a problem learning it over again when you if you don't play it for a few months? Is it tough to get back? It's to no, the it's not the learn. It's it's just quite a simple deck builder. There's only sort of one layer above it, and everyone's so used to it. I thought everyone was so used to it. Turns out not everyone, everyone was so used to it. But uh, <laughs> everyone's so used to it. That it's quite easy to learn. It is the depth. And let's not go crazy. It's not massively, but there's a depth to play and building your deck and going after, like going after vehicles with the heroes that suit vehicles and the tactics that suit vehicles and making yourself sort of very honed in what you can do. Because especially now you can garrison cards. So when you take over a planet, you can get the cards you don't want out of your deck. They'll still count at the end for scoring, but you can really create something that's very, very efficient. But familiarity with the game is going to allow you to do that. You need to learn the cards a little bit and need to learn what planets are coming up in order to, to get yeah. to that level. Not to labour on Cool Worlds, I've just got another question for you. A long time since I've played it. Is it a game where you have stacks of cards or is there that river in the middle that's constantly sort of replenishing and different cards are coming out? It's not. It's neither. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You get a set number of cards in the middle. You have to have a min- minimal number of planets and a minimum number of units available. And then as you go through the, the rounds and you get into... So the first round, you're only getting from the Barbarian planets. Then in round three, slightly better cards and planets will start coming out. Mm. But there'll always be a set number in the middle. So it actually, again, turn order is quite important because it adds a bit of emphasis on drafting because if you decide to take a unit then you might miss out on taking a planet because of the turn order, but there's a finite number of cards available each round, and that's yeah. a balance that you have to find, and you have to look around and see cool. what units are in, because people can't play all their units and take a planet in one go. They have to have their units prepared. So if you're prepared to take a planet and no one mm-hmm. else is, you know you've got at least one round grace where they're going to have to deploy units, and then you can invade before they get a chance to invade. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's a time yeah. This is all the little things that are not complicated, but once you're aware of them, you become more aware of what other players are doing. It can be quite solitaire when you're not used to being aware of what other players are doing and how important that can be. I was listening to the Dice Tower did their top 10 deck builders. <laughs> they had neither Spirit Island or Concordia in there. <laughs> so I'll point they, that out. They did mention Concordia, though, and saying it's not... He did. He said it wasn't a deck builder. He said it was a hand builder. <laughs> I haven't seen it all. I've just seen bits of that. Z's first game was a hand builder. <laughs> Spirit Island is a deck builder. <laughs> you build your deck in the game. Carry on. Anyway, and they, they actually made a uh, good point that there was a definite change from when Dominion first came out. Everything had stacks of cards and you could buy from stacks. And then that kind of changing scenario of cards where new cards were coming out all the time. And I think Core Worlds was one of the first games to actually do that, have not just the same stacks available all game and you're just constantly picking from those stacks. So I think it was kind of a little bit of a maverick of its time, and much more so because it doesn't have that river that everyone else followed. Yeah, I'm not. I think they overrigged that. <laughs> there wasn't that many cards. <laughs> there wasn't that many cards with the stacks. I think it's like Thunderstone. However, well, what other deck builders had the whole stacks? I did. I remember Shadow, Shadow Rift had it, but that was a smaller release. Uh, you know, I, I think there's always been variety in how you get cards into the game. I don't love the river. I think that something they did mention around talking about that was if you stack the deck, and this is what Core Worlds does, I think, adds that sense of pace and narrative and is very necessary, is I wish something like Ascension had level one cards for a certain number of rounds, then level two cards and level three cards. They said it themselves. You get like an eight-cost card come out, and it just sits there. 
no one can take it. And another thing that they mentioned, and I can't remember whether it was in that video or not. I haven't watched, it's only because I've been off with this cold. <laughs> so I've watched some Dice Tower videos. But something that Tom mentioned about the um, new expansion for June, which I'm actually going to talk about next episode, Immortality, is that it gives you a one-off action in the game to wipe the market. And I think in those river games, like June Imperium, like Ascension, like whatever, you need that ability to wipe the market so you can just get so sort of bogged down. I think Caldwell's for its time was hugely innovative and probably slightly overlooked because it was slightly ahead of its time. And I do remember trying to teach it back then when people were less familiar with the old idea and it was quite hard. Now I think it's, like I said, much easier to teach. People have created their own sort of language which you, which you can build on. Moving on to one of the games that I played and I was desperate to initially get hold of and play Trekking Through History. Going back to the Dice Tower, Mike Delisio has raved about it for a long time. The rest of the Dice Tower crew really like it and I've heard good things. And I missed out on the Kickstarter. So when I saw a copy in the LobsterCon game area, I was I was all over it. And what it is, is a set collection game. What you're doing is you've got that, I can't remember what you call it, Ronan, I've heard it being called a ratchet system, where you're moving moving ahead. Progressive worker placement. That's the one. <laughs> I'm going to stick with ratchet. <laughs> Progressive worker placement, where you're moving ahead, and that dictates sort of the turn order, so you, you might have two or three goes in it. Ratchet's in a very place. unpleasant word. Is it now? You don't like that, no? Okay. Uh, don't you think ratchet is like, ooh, mm, no. Mm. <laughs> With Trekking Through History, you are picking up scenarios in history. So it might be the blowing up of the Hindenburg, or it might be the start of World War II, or the birth of someone or the death of someone. They're all set in their time when they happened. And you've either got to increase your number or decrease, and you're just, that's all you're doing. You're, you're set collecting. When you get a card, it gives you a token that you can put on your player board and as you unlock your player board you fill more and more areas up of the player board it's going to unlock little powers where you can go and you can cheat a little bit with time crystals you can fudge the times and put things in where they don't really belong and stuff like that when you can't build anymore you turn those cards over and that's your scoring pile for the end of the game a really really simple game massively overproduced I came out of thinking there was going to be a little bit more to it, Ronan. There is a little bit of cleverness in the work of progression or, or the ratchet system. Not that. Because oh, that word not banned. <laughs> but you are heavily relying on what cards come out and when they come out and who gets to them first. I would dread to see this at three and four because that would be massive. The luck would be in the turns. I think it would be a great tool for teaching a child about history because every card on the reverse side has what happened and who the people are on the card and what's mentioned. It's lovely, as I said, lovely production. Too light, too lucky for me, I think. Right, Sean, so we're on a hunt. We've got an issue here. We've got a problem. What we got? Who named it? We're trekking through. It's part of the trekking series, isn't it? It's trekking oh, what's the trekking series? <laughs> What? I don't know what that is. No, no, look at that. Trekking through history. And like, no, nope. That's, I don't know what that is. What that is that? What is it? <laughs> the 
because you're, you're, I suppose you're trawling through history. I don't even know whether there's, there's one trek through America. Th- putting a backpack on and my red socks and my walking stick through history. Yeah. What? <laughs> you're going through history to a major time. Like, make it more exciting than... Let's go on a trek, everyone. Have you got your trail mix? What the f- I don't know. Something about this title has made me... Just the name of it has made me ignore the yeah, game yeah, friends, I think the previous ones were literally about trekking through, literally, Red Sox, Cap, Backpack. And that made sense. <laughs> Who held a gun to the head and made them link this game to those games? <laughs> Was it? Do they play the same? Are they linked the I same? I have no idea. I've never played any of the others. I assume that they. Well, play there you the go. Then system. the massively successful series we had to call this after. Well, no, you don't have to call it something else. I avoided it. It's had loads of positive reviews. Can you compare it to any other game, Sean? Not really. I think with with that system in it and just basic set collection. I don't tend to gravitate towards games this light, and it was incredibly light. So it's tough for me to compare it. Oh, fair enough. I thought you liked it from when we talked on the weekend. I thought this was going to be another positive review. It was okay. I thought it would be a great game to bring home for James to learn a bit more about history. And you. Well, and me, true. true. And me. Right. (laughs) Moving on. Another quicker game but this one's 15 years old and still criminally overlooked and underrated and yet is also a drafty set collector and it is called the hanging gardens from dinley san came out from uh, rio grand games it feels oddly modern it's something that you read when people discuss the difference between modern euros and older euros is that in modern euros you have a lot of things where you're building your own thing so the interaction is from the middle and then you come and build your own. Whereas in older Euros, it's you've got your own stuff and then you interact on the board. Well, this is an older one that's the other round. No one's following that. That was confusing. That's fine. You're drafting from the middle and you're creating a little a grid in front of you of cards, overlapping cards. And there's different types of buildings on there and you're trying to get the same types of buildings together in squares. When you do that, at the point at which that particular area, so let's say we've got some green squares, I've got a couple of them, I'll draft another card with some green squares on and I lay them down. And there's rules about where you can put buildings and it's trickier than you would hope to actually be able to lay things down and match them up. But let's say now I've got four green squares together and I decide I want to score that. I put one of my temples on there, I can't ever overlay my temples and I can't add to that area in. And then from the center again, from a display of score tiles, I get to draft one of them, and there are multiple types of these tiles, and they score in sets. So I'm doing sort of a little buildy-buildy and a little bit of set collecting It takes about half an hour to play. Another game that I think was ahead of its time, it went over really well. It was taken on and played again by others, and it's one of those that cause a tiny little one of those chain reactions you get at, at cons where you teach something on the first day and someone teaches someone else and someone teaches someone else and someone remembers it and Hanging Gardens had a little bit of a revival it's not going to change the world but I think that in a reprint in a time when what it does is better received than it was 15 years ago I think the Hanging Gardens could make itself a little name you stole my thunder that was literally my question do you think it needs a reprint from somebody not ready? Yes, I do. Good question. <laughs> I played it a long time ago at your house. I think it might have even been your previous house or the one before that. So I can't remember much about it, but I do remember thinking it was a good, solid game. Someone pick it up. I think that would be a good idea. 
a good solid game would be a fair description of it. Now, I talked about it being a chain reaction. What do you reckon were the games that you saw being played most over the weekend? Hmm. I certainly saw The Crew being played a few times. Naturally. I saw... Well, weirdly enough, or something we're talking about later, Eclipse. <laughs> there, was, there was about three or four games of that going on. And there was a couple of games of Star Wars Rebellion. But I'm not very observant, Ron, when it comes to that sort of thing. What, what did you see being played? Eclipse is definitely a LobsterCon favourite. It always gets played at every LobsterCon at least once or twice. Darwin's Journey was everywhere. I don't know how you didn't see that. I literally didn't see it at all. <laughs> it was uh, there was like four copies, and they were being one or two of them was being played at least. I saw four games going on at once. One, wow, okay, that was everywhere. Hegemony. Ah, uh, you know you're right. I did see that because it looks very stark, doesn't it? It's very blocky and stark. And matter of fact, there's no real artistic license on it. And I did have go over to have a look. What is that? Okay, I thought it looked quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> Mixed reports. Lots of people loved it. But certainly some people have reservations due to the very long game length. Five hours plus sometimes. Wow. So, wow. yeah. I'm interested. It's got, like I say, some people were like, that is not a perfect game, but a very, very interesting game. It'll take you to different places. I had another one in my head, but I forgot to write it down. If it pops up to me, I will let you know. (laughs) (laughs) But the next game that I played was one that's come back into rotation, I think maybe due to the BGA implementation, or certainly amongst my friends, and that's Homesteaders, which is the uh, fixed auction, tableau building, worker placement-y, combo-y up-y, resource conversion-y, does it all in an hour-y, bit of Euro fantastic design. I have yet to play this one still, Ronan, despite your protestations. On many occasions, I've still never played it. I think I'm still quite amused by the the quality of the the, <laughs> the actual design quality. But they the reprinted it several times, Sean. They must have got it right. Of it. <laughs> okay. For those of you who aren't Philistines, I'll just let you know what I did this time around. Often I go for a railway themed, and I don't mean building up the tracks, so that can be handy to get money, but a railway themed thing in the buildings that I purchase, trying to go for the depot and the station and stuff and score points that way. Deliberately this time, I will try to do something a bit different because we played it a few times recently. I went for a very low workers strategy. So I only had two or three workers over the course of the whole game and I tried to get the buildings that just auto-produce you. So rather than like, I can't remember the names of the buildings, I can't remember yesterday, the gold mine which you have to send workers to, I was getting the one that you don't have to send workers to or rather than the thing that give you a cow by sending a worker, I paid more and got the cow thing that you don't have to send workers to. And the problem with homesteads is it's only 10 rounds long. And when you're spending longer to build those buildings, you have to make sure you have enough time that the not sending workers to it is worth it and they're going to produce often enough to come in for you in the end. I was rolling along with about 12 debts. Very easy to get loads of debts early in the game. You have to have a plan to pay them off by the end. About 12 debts for most of the game. I got to pay the vast majority of them off. It was very tight between... I think all four of us, but certainly very, very tight between Rachel and I. But the good news for everyone at home, you can have a little sip of uh, champagne now, is that I beat Rachel on a tiebreaker, which was never mentioned again for the rest of the weekend by either of us, so that's fine. You're a bad person. Well, maybe she should just play better. (laughs) Ow. We'll be talking about a game a bit later that apparently you need to play better at. Ooh. Oh, there's a lot of games. No, there's a one particular. Uh, the, you know the, what the, I'm the, talking about. I know. Shut up. 
<laughs> my shelfie, go on, tell me about it. Right, my shelfie. It looks like I stayed on the light side of things for quite a lot of the time at LobsterCon. My shelfie, another very light game. We spotted it at Essen, Ronan. It was one that I was umming and oaring, or humming and whoring even, about... Lubin and, and Krubin? And Jubin and Dubin, yes. And yes. a Kakarin and a Florin. <laughs> what are we talking about? Who knows at this point? My shelfie is literally you are filling up a Connect Four style shelf in front of you where you're dropping the, the little pieces down and you're trying to get patterns and you're trying to get certain patterns that are set out as goals in the game. You are looking to get collections of the same colour to score points. Lots of ways to score points. And you're collecting from a central board in the middle of the table that's laid out, depending on how many players, with loads of tokens all pushed out. You can only take the one that's showing two sides. So, what have you heard about my shelfie? It certainly got a lukewarm reception that weekend. I've still strangely tempted just by the whole physicality of it. I always look at it and go, ooh, it's books and it's Connect Four. I like both those things. Possibly Connect Four only because I remember playing it. I don't actually have to play it. Although, no, I play Connect Four relatively recently. I don't mind. Not all books. You actually put cats on your shelf as well. Oh, well, yeah, that's put yeah. me off. All right. No, I don't want to play. <laughs> <laughs> Lukewarm reception amongst the gamers, but I want to hear what you have to say because sometimes you lose pockets. Well, that <laughs> said it all. Uh, that does say it all. It's really fiddly to take the little tiles off the board without knocking everything around is really difficult. I was playing. Can we have a non-giant's opinion on that first, please? (laughs) No, everyone was the same. I was playing a four-player game. Weirdly enough, I was the one that taught it, even though I'd never played it. And I was the one constantly having to push the tiles back onto their correct spaces (laughs) because everyone, including Nat, would like, right, I'll take these three and then... They go everywhere, right? Okay, we saw, yeah, yeah. You can only imagine how the devastation when I put my massive mitts on it. And getting the goals. I mean, if you both start going for them, there's always the option to put the right thing in the right place. So if Nat's first and taller or I'm fourth, she's going to get it before me. Same with Corwells. If I if both of us get it at the same time, the fourth player is going to come up last. And, and there is like four tiles, so I'd get two points. Nat would get ten points because she was first. There was that... Is it like enough to mitigate against that? Maybe, but... Does turn order rotate? No. Do you know what we played the other day that really exposed that to me and slightly ruined the game was Baron Park. Really? Yeah, because I hadn't realised it so badly before, but it finished first, second, third and fourth in player order because mm. I'd do something and I'd just get the slightly worse bear for completing yeah, my time. Yeah. If you're playing with someone with very similar ability... That's how it rolled out. And I was like, oh, no. I quite, you know, I didn't mind playing Baron Park. I thought it was like decent, but that, mm. so it can ruin a game for sure. Yeah. And my shelfie, you can't really not have the same ability because it's so light. You decide to go for that particular concoction of tiles in, in, in a certain order, and the person two steps after you goes for it, you're going to get it first. So go in with your eyes open. It's a. A mildly enjoyable activity, I would say. That is about 50 degrees more entertaining than my next game, Northern Pacific. (laughs) I'll tell you what you can do with Northern Pacific. I saw you playing this, and I I immediately accused Adam of bringing it, which he deflected it over to Martin. And Martin was my second guest, to be fair. (laughs) 
Go on, tell us about it. Notorious gaming criminal. <laughs> it's what you do in Northern Pacific, Rice. You stick down a cube in any station on the board, or you put a train on the next part of a multiple-choice branching path from the East Coast across to... I don't think it's the right way to the West Coast, wherever, in... Uh, no, Seattle might be, yeah, whatever, in America. If the train goes to a place where you've got your cube, you get your cube and another cube back. <gasps> if you put your big cube, you get two cubes back. <laughs> Please tell me there's more to it, because I'm, I'm struggling there to think how that's it. How is that a no, game? No, there isn't. No, there isn't. And then everyone... It is a game... It's just not a very good game. <laughs> and then, so like, you're like, well, what? Everyone just piles in. You're like, what? This, this is right. And then, there's such, so many 50-50 choices that you're just sitting there going, well, that didn't go my way. That didn't go my way. That went my way. That didn't go my way. That didn't go my way. I know I can't win. Really, like, the person's there just going, no, 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 either way, I'll just go that way. A game of branching paths. Branch elsewhere. I was a bit frightened when Rachel proclaimed, Ronan, I want a bullshit game. That doesn't sound great. No. <laughs> okay, moving quickly on to your next that, That's a very happy lady who <laughs> finds the goodness in everything in life, including me somehow. And she, even she went, no. You mentioned it already, the crew. We had a quick seven hands of it, playing five players. Five-player crew is really hard. We had four <laughs> missions. You got eight rounds in which to win those four missions. Our particular thing had the captain can't win anything. And you know they've got the four submarines. Mm-hmm. they can't take any missions rather so you know they've got to win one hand so basically you've got seven rounds to manipulate around the table with that four submarine sort of hanging the Damocles sword over your plans knowing you're going to have to hand it back to the captain at some point I would have sat there till now still trying to win those missions they, they were almost <laughs> exclusive it was a real bane burn we got close a couple of times there's a little bit of finger pointing but actually that was quite restrained for how frustrating the experience was just sat there for 45 minutes just getting incredibly frustrated and then walked away going my god the crew is amazing <laughs> so uh five players you say you played with what's your what's your sweet spot for the crew four of me four of you yeah that would be a horrible experience for anyone else around the table <laughs> then i know everyone's competent That's, that is my sweet spot for the crew <laughs> We're really using the competent word for you, are we? I said competent, not brilliant. I hold myself back. <laughs> God, I like you. Well done. <laughs> right, okay, moving on to probably the staple of every lobstacle I've ever been to, and definitely one of the highlights. It's our drunken Eldritch Horror game, where we sit back, we have a few beers, we have the crack... The game doesn't really matter, but the stories that unfold, we, we kind of use as pivots to have a bit of fun. What I noticed this time with Elder Shore is that I've never seen us be able to turn a game around so well before. Because normally, when you start bad, it just gets worse and it gets worse. For my experience. Or if you start well, it kind of gives you that platform and you build off it and you've all got superpower characters. But this time, we started horrifically and somehow turned it around before the Elder One even woke. We had to do a steward's inquiry as to whether we did win or not, but we, we managed it. With just one slight cheat. but <laughs> One slight, tiny, tiny, tiny little cheat. <laughs> we did. Yeah, we won with one Doom left. 
on the very last turn <laughs> at the point at which you win and lose at the same time you win apparently so it was against the elder god I don't know the name but they turn all their cultists into goats there's a lot of goat talk I was quite amazed how restrained the goat jokes were and we were, we were building off other things but also there's a huge problem especially with chat GBT and stuff uh, with people stealing credit for other people's work Sean okay and I hope that you used the royal we in which you said we there in a game in which I was useless. You were actually useless, yeah. Actually useless. You were... Uh, Natalie I was good. I found all the clues. I, I generated loads of clues. If Natalie you gave you a load of clues to go and do the thing that you did. No, no, I generated them because my, it was my special power on my card. I got... Oh, whatever. Natalie was good, <laughs> and then Rachel turned it all around by finding two artifacts including a lightning gun and went hold on what big monster have we got to kill I'll just roll in there and shoot it with all the lightning in the world and to make this look easy so I watched you lot win this it was very impressive you were hungry for most of the game uh, paranoid hallucinations <laughs> what else did I just keep getting definitely I kept getting hallucinations probably three times but the funniest thing was Sean what are you waiting in real life for an MRI on oh so a trip to Legoland yielded a twisted and damaged knee for myself. So I've got a leg injury, Ronan. Do you? <laughs> I do, I do. As in fiction mirrors reality. How many times did you put a leg injury card in Eldritch Horror? I think I probably had it for 90% of the game. I counted three separate times you'd get an injury. Yep. And it was Every time I get rid of it, they'd say, right, turn this card over. Oh, you get a leg injury. Right, okay. <laughs> That was pretty fun. Overall, it was fantastic fun. It felt a bit hopeless for the first half. And then, yes, it did get turned around by some good play by other people. I basically sat there drinking and just being happy. It was all good. You know when you're in a good game and people from the other gaming table start chiming in with insults about the game you're playing? Fair play to them. Right. That was a big, long, deep game. What was your next one, Ronan, you want to talk about? So I rolled out of bed the next day quite late rolled downstairs was just standing around contemplating going to eat a lot of food and becky grabbed rachel and i and said we're looking for randos to play this game with us after being insulted for 10 minutes of being called randos we agreed to go and play whatever game it was and it was a card and dice game it was advertised as themed around animal zombies called oh my brain with a lot of pink artwork and i sat down i was like okay Every day you people are testing me in my, I'll play anything this weekend. <laughs> it turns out it's a ladder game in which you have to play a higher value card than the card that's currently on top of the pile in the middle. Otherwise, you're going to suffer uh, poor consequences out of that. Certain cards that you play mean you roll a dice and you've got lies, which are brains. And you can like, steal cards from each other. You can lose brains. You can gain brains. Once someone's got rid of all their cards, you're going to lose one brain for every card you have left. Now, the interesting thing about it is you have a hand of cards which you're managing all the time because you're getting cards in and out and you're setting things up for yourself. But also you have what's called a graveyard and you can constantly interact between your graveyard and your hand. And your graveyard is your last three cards. I don't know why it's called a graveyard because it doesn't suggest the right sort of thing that it is. It is the last three cards you'll pick up once you've emptied your hand, which maybe doesn't sound like that big a deal, but provides a level of thinking and planning ahead and attempting to read where the game's going so that you get those cards and you go right great i've set myself up well here or i've set myself up to do something particularly clever or not 
Now, sometimes your graveyard can get swapped around, your hand of cards can get swapped around, there's dice rolling. It's all very light and easy going. And the theme adds to that. I think the name, the theme, and the artwork has led to what is a Bruno Cathala game being entirely overlooked. Because I had never heard of Own My Brain before this hungover encounter with its pinkness. I had never heard of it either, Ronan. It sounds really silly. I mean, how much enjoyment did you actually get out of it? I ordered it. Right, okay, so you, you liked it. <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more I was like, that is actually a good game. It's got some level of nonsense to it, but the level of nonsense somehow fits in with what's going on. And it's got a level of thinking to it as well. But it's not dry, it's not entirely predictable. And there's a lot of agency in how you choose to implement sort of the special powers that you get. So there's a lot of table play going on whereby you're like, mm, probably the winner is going to be who's been able to negotiate the table better as well as manage their graveyard best. Which you have to sort of either be aware of or just be quite relaxed like we were that morning. But in terms of a fun ladder game with actual proper play to it, I think it ticked a lot of boxes. And it's one I'm looking forward to playing in different circumstances and with other people. Maybe it was just we had a good time. We're playing with nice people, like Becky and John and Ben. And we're just in a very happy place at that point after winning Eldritch Horror and being drunk. And we were going for a lot of food and we were going to sit on the beach for a while. It was a, it was a happy time, Sean. I've ordered it to check it out. But I was incredibly pleasantly surprised by Oh My Brain. Especially from the box cover. The box cover was awful. Was it easy to get? Because I can't even think of what this looks like. Even though you said it's Bruno Catala. I'm going to move on to challenges. Get your phone and look on Amazon. It's there. Oh, cool. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> right. Check on then. Challenges. Challenges. We we heard about challenges. Did we treasure hunt it? We certainly sniffed at it for Essen, and we had a good look at it while it was there, but neither of us fancied it. To be honest, the box put me off as, again. I know I'm a shallow, mm. shallow man, but <laughs> the whole idea of it, it's so rife with being done poorly. It's an idea that you are going to slightly build a deck of cards. And depending on there's four, six or eight players, a certain number of rounds. And what you're going to do is you're going to have a little round of sort of drafting, which is lawyer uh, compared to the baseball highlights, actually, which is probably in terms of constructing the deck right. You're going to draft some cards in and then thin your deck out if you wish to. But the big difference is that then you have no agency. And you and I are going to play each other and I'm going to turn cards over from the top of my deck and my first card will take hold of this trophy and then you're going to turn cards over the top of your deck until you get to a value that can take the trophy from me. But some of the cards have got special powers on and as you deck build throughout the round so you have more and more powers and you're looking for more synergies within your within your own deck. And it's going to bounce backwards and forwards and whoever's deck lasts the longest... As your cards get knocked out, say you got a higher value than I had defending the trophy, my cards have to go to what's called my bench, but there's only six slots on my bench, so you can't have lots of different cards in your deck because each slot's for a different type of card. And then, so we'll do it, and then whoever wins the first round will score a certain number of points. Then I'll play against someone else. We'll have a little deck build, very little, drafting a couple of cards in, and then we'll do the same thing, just flip cards over, see who wins. And you'll do it seven times, and then whoever scored the most points over those seven rounds will play off in a final with their decks against each other with no more deck building. And there are sort of themed decks of cards that go in, and they can synergize off each other sometimes. We weren't allowed to deck build as much as we should have done, because Adam taught it wrong. Adam, again, (laughs) I know you listened. (laughs) Turns out you could have had a a look at slightly more cards, but that's fine. It's a concept that is so fragile sounding, Sean, 
that I would still stand by an initial assessment of it being a trap because it seems so unlikely to work. Things of it appealed to me at the time. And one question I've got for you is, how quick are each of the games? Maybe three minutes? That's one of the things I thought it'd be really cool with all the different factions that it brings, all the type of uh, cards it brings to the table, moving around, having that quick, hit 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 move to the next person hit 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 move to the next person then maybe everyone getting around to watch the final and I don't know, maybe choosing a side abusing them whatever it sounded like a great party game is that the feeling you got from it definitely i think it needs a bit of football chanting it needs a bit of abuse the cold bastards at london on board they didn't even watch the finals <laughs> they're just like oh, yeah they start packing away well, we're still playing the final yeah one of you will win whatever yeah <laughs> Oh, a bit more life and a bit more chanting and a bit more abuse is you're going to get more life in it. So you get sort of a card that tells you where you're going to play. Make sure everyone plays each other once or whatever. And my what yeah. happens to be you sit there and you don't move. You're the only person that doesn't move. Whoops. So I, I was in the forest <laughs> in the dark green bit. So it became my mossy hole. You had to clamber into my, my moist mossy hole in order to face me. And uh, I was just trying to give it a bit of life. But uh, for what it does, it's very good. Whether you have any interest in what it does doesn't change that. <laughs> you might look at the idea and go, this is stupid, or play it and go, well, it's not really my thing. If it is your thing, you're going to love it. And a Challenges is a success in everything it attempts to do. I don't want to play it all the time. It's much better with six or probably eight people, but when I do play it, I'll have fun. Lovely. Moving on to an old favourite, I played Bunny Kingdom. I think it's a lot of fun is at the mercy of the cards. I think there's two things. If you don't see any of the towers, you're not going to win. Now, one of the players played way better than the rest. And you can name her. Dominated. You can name her. She was gloating <laughs> afterwards. So he's, he's, he's uh, pretty much someone came from last to first because they saw the, the treasure. But cards. did that person have loads of towers? They had a few but not, not massive. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being miserable. I'm being miserable because I lost, right? That's pretty much it. <laughs> I thought I was doing really, really well. Yes, there's two ro- two roads to go down, and you can go for your treasures, you can go for your towers, but if you don't see the cards, you can't win the game. Really. I think that's just in the nature of a drafting game, to be honest. You're talking about <laughs> you've got to make the best of what miserable. comes your way. It's like, yeah, you've got to make the best of what comes your way. You, you're not going to see everything, correct. So here's the main point. There were two players that couldn't have won that game. They didn't see any decent parchments and they got barely any towers because of the draft. Myself and the player who won it got really lucky with all of our starting draws and we're like, dink, dink, that's exactly what we need to pass it on. I hear. And I don't know, it's, it's a really little quip. I think it's in the nature of the game, to be it honest is. with you. And you just have to accept what you've got. To me, always the extra resources were the one that was a killer. If you never saw any extra resources, you're in big trouble because they're a multiplier. For the others, sometimes in that game with lot drafting, it's about not drafting what you think you want, but accepting what's coming your way and, and adjusting. But it's not that long a game. I get what you're saying, though. I've got frustrated before in playing Bunny Kingdom, but I still think it's a very good game. It is a very good game. Yeah, correct. It was just a little bit of a, an irk that I just thought I would bring to the table here today. So next up for me was a game that's been reprinted as US Telegraph. This was the original version, Attica, which I played a few times pre-logging games back 
when they came out or around when they came out, whatever. And it's about laying tiles out onto a modular board, attempting to either get all your tiles out or to connect shrines. There are a number of shrines equal number of players in the game. And as you play, there are ways of unlocking more off the board. So when you look like you might be blocked off initially from linking shrines, you can add on and the player shape the whole map itself. And there are tech trees within your own system whereby you can either play terrain cards in order to get your tiles out onto the board because there are different types of terrains and different buildings required to be on or next to different types of terrain but you can supplement it with the cards or when you build like the central building to one of your networks for example if i put in i'm gonna say well i'm gonna get these wrong if i put in the well i can build three fountains for free if i put in one street i can add streets to it roads to it if I put in my capital, there are certain ones I can build off there. And you can put these synergies into place. Where they go doesn't really matter as long as you're just attempting to make this spatial puzzle and put it together. I enjoyed it because I won and I got to completely stitch up Rachel and take her completely out of the game while I was winning. So that was incredibly satisfying. What problem with it is, and I'll go back to what you're talking about, Bunny Kingdom, there's a decent luck factor going on and sometimes things are going to fall into place because you can either draw cards or you can draw tiles if you draw tiles in the right order and you are able to build the central one and then you get the free ones quickly on it because it's a land grab you can what i did to rachel suddenly do a quick chain around something and block someone out completely and they're like well now i'm gonna have to get like three extra bits of board on which is hard work and then build around three times as long just to try and win because you happen to draw those quicker than me so for the hard work and the reward you get out of it the luck factor of the draw in Attica to me is a bit too high it's not one of my favorite games I'll play it's not long but I don't love it for sure what was the game you said that re-implemented it US Telegraph it's here next to me I haven't played the US Telegraph oh you haven't played that that was my question I'm just wondering if US Telegraph has managed to address some of those issues That'd be something maybe to find out in the later episode. Very later from where it is in my to be played pile. Right, go on. One that you absolutely despise, go on. So, I've got to do a guest appearance in Jaws of the Lion. There's an ongoing campaign, and they don't have anyone who is the Void Warden, who's sort of like a, a dark power cleric, if you like. So, I was asked if I wanted to join in. Prior to me, it had been played by a gentleman of the name of Jason who had played it as a very creepy character, I was told. I was told, this character is very strange. I never played the Void Warden. It'll poison you, he'll steal your health, and he'll help you a bit, and at the end of this whole transaction over four rounds, you'll be like, did I really benefit from that, or was he just scoring experience points for himself? Jason brings a lot to every game he plays. (laughs) He role-played the character. So I had the same cards, Sean, as he did. I was just a pure buff and support character. I was just healing and laying out. I was like, what's this creepy bit? I don't really get it. What I will say is that I did zero attacks in the whole game. I did zero damage and zero attacks. Um, prior to it, I had sort of buffed my uh, my to-hit deck to no avail because I didn't flip a single one of those cards over. The whole game, I was just standing between the other characters and just helping them out. And yeah, do that, I'll heal you, do that. I'm going to poison you, then I'll heal you again, and you become blessed. And you wouldn't want it to be your first character ever in Gloomhaven. Put it that way. So, effectively, you were there because they were sad Jason wasn't, and you made a poor Jason. Correct. (laughs) Okay, well done. At least it made them appreciate Jason more. 
that's coming to the stark daylight there, hasn't it? I think the funniest bit of the whole thing was uh, quite early on, worked out it, this particular scenario is a spatial puzzle, and there's three doors you have to open. There's, usually it's a chain of rooms you go through, and this one it wasn't. It was three separate paths, so we opened them up. Brilliantly, Adam, whose character is actually the hatchet, opened up a door which was filled with furniture and he had to spend the next several rounds just hacking apart the furniture in order to get the demon summoned that we needed to actually defeat. So here's round with literally I attack this shelf. I attack this shelf. It's dead. <laughs> I move and I attack this shelf. <laughs> he did that for about 45 minutes which is brilliant. So there you go. Well that is brilliant because it's something different isn't it? And he, he'll remember that. He'll remember the day he had to attack furniture. Yeah, he went for a day job in Ikea while we carried on having a natural adventure. No, well, I didn't. No. I didn't attack anything. I just watched. I think I was like the journalist, the photojournalist. Oh, you look pretty doing that. Click, 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 click. <laughs> so we played Caldera Park, and weirdly enough, I played it again with Nat and James last night. Caldera Park is a slight twist on Savannah Park, where you're placing animals onto a grid, trying to group them together in a kind of bingo corley style and I said at the time when we played this quite close to Savannah Park that I preferred the simplicity of Savannah Park. But I'm warming to the weather tiles are the thing that I think really changes up Caldera Park from it. In the game, you have to place out various weather tiles. Now, the first one you can see, and each of the weather tiles will kill a certain type of animal or a certain number of animals got to be careful you can't really build around them blind unless you're going to take a risk because you're going to be putting them out blind from there onwards and it's a really good puzzle but i love the interaction ronan because each person is going to choose an action and you have to mirror that if you can so if, if uh, ronan says goats on forest i have to put a goat on a forest if i've got it and then it's slightly variations if you don't have them but I'm wondering where you are with, with this now, Ron, because we were in accordance that we preferred Savannah Park. Are you still on that track? The decision was taken out of my hands. <laughs> I know Rachel prefers Caldera. An executive command was made, and Caldera Park has survived the cull, and the uh, beasts of the Savannah have not, I'm afraid. Oh, dear. I don't love that weather tile thing. I think it can be too punishing. You can just get terribly unlucky. I like the whole system, you know that. The whole fact that you're having to mitigate against what could go wrong while also being positive and making sure you're scoring some points for yourself. It's very hard to keep all the scoring conditions of Cathera Park in mind of did you cover all the forest, did you cover all the waterfalls and all that. It, there's a lot of thought going on while also trying to make your animal groups. There's definitely more to it. I just find that sort of weather thing, for all the thought that I'm putting into all these other things, I find it a bit too punishingly random. I think if and I'm certainly not clever enough to do it because I got a problem I had a major issue with it last night but I think if you plan it correctly you can mitigate against the weather but last night I was building a group of moose and <laughs> I had to because bad planning I had to place my group of three next to one of the unrevealed weathers and of course the three cloud comes out which kills all three animals and it broke my chain to the waters Hey. Yeah, see that for the amount That's of hard work planning. it went into it. It's, <laughs> is it? Is it? Or sometimes they're just like, I've got to take this risk because you can't do everything in the game. I still like it. I think they're both good games. So, 
I'm interested in seeing how your next one went down with the people you introduced it to. Yes, Project Elite. So I taught it once at LobsterCon. I've taught it since then. I would say that both times I was met initially with slight scepticism on having a, a Cherie game with lots of plastic, with aliens and stuff. And people expecting this was going to be a very long teach. A sort of intricate, overly fiddly system with lots of stuff going on. I will venture to be so bold as to say that both times the game was enjoyed surprisingly enjoyed i think that the looks of project elite are deceptive it looks like it's gonna be a complete load of tosh with billions of things going on and then you've got to roll dice frantically and you don't really you're not really aware of what's going on and things come out in the wash and there's lots of random stuff going on as i think you will attest to it doesn't feel like that when you play it it feels much more controlled we very nearly lost this game of it at LobsterCon. like there was a boss standing outside the base because we panicked and we're idiots and we carried on rolling trying to get back to it three of us all the while every time we rolled a red it was moving closer to the base and eventually i was like okay we're moving a third of the moves each time because there's three of us (laughs) and it's moving all the moves so we need to stop rolling get more aliens out next round and then run back and get it and at that point, we're like, oh, yeah, we very... Like, we were like, don't want to roll a red! What are we going to lose? We're going to lose! It's a moment of clarity. Stop rolling. Oh, yeah. We can just stop rolling and I can roll a red. We're okay. <laughs> Panic had set in. In the second game, I thought it, we actually lost. It was the worst start I've ever seen. We got, like, five bosses of the first six draws out of the boss deck. And it's yeah. weighted, like, eight bosses and 12 no bosses in there. So that was very unlucky. And... Also, just lots of bad stuff happened. So we lost that one, but then we won it on the second go. Something that occurred to me is in Project Elite, which is indicative of how easy the system is to understand, is that these random bosses come out. There's eight possible in any game. They don't necessarily all come out. Out of I've got a selection of whatever it is, 15, 16, or with, a, with an expansion or two in there. And when a boss comes out, it's got a special power. It appears... I wasn't even reading the boss card... Someone who's new to the game would read the boss card. Everyone then knew what the boss did. And the next round, that boss activates. Everyone goes, oh yeah, they did that. There's not like, what's it do? What's its multiplier? What do I have to check out? Where's the chart? Where's the special thing? They just went, oh yeah, that moves quicker. That moves the ones around it. That spits out acid. That speaks to me of the simplicity of the system, which allows for that clarity of thinking and means that you feel like you're always making informed decisions rather than just getting punched up beaten up by the game rolling around and in the end coming out of this mix with very little control so that's just a little thing that to me shows that project elite has got more of a home for more gamers than it certainly first appears definitely i think you touched on it earlier there there was a lot of skepticism around this a few times you had to say to me people came over and looked and oh what's that rubbish oh real time no what a nightmare and you would have to say sean what do you think of real time games hate them ronan what do you think of Project Delete? Really like it, right? <laughs> that was kind of. It's just. It's easy to find cynicism in that hotel. I do like Project Delete, and as I've said before, it's the downtime when you do your planning that makes it tolerable for me. And tolerable. Game. Damn. So tolerable. Yeah, it takes away. It makes the real time aspect tolerable because I've got a plan and I know what I'm doing, and it's only a very quick burst, and then it's back to planning. So that's why I like Project Delete. Another one that's one of our favourites, Ronan, for you next. Yeah, Calico. It was it was interesting to watch the new player journey through Calico. It was almost <laughs> cliched. So you teach it, they get it, they go, okay, this is easy. 
they spend the first maybe half the game concentrating on one or two of the scoring aspects and it goes very very well and they're like this game's a piece of pish what they're talking about and about 50 60 percent of the way through horror suddenly dawns on their face <laughs> when they realize they've ignored about 70 percent of the scoring in the game and that what they've done is, has already excluded certain scorings without them even having thought about those scorings yet and they're just like hold on what and from this game they thought they were rolling through they turn around and they score like half the points of the experienced players and they go either by god that was far too hard or they go let's play that again that was what what did i do wrong what am i doing okay i need to look at the whole board all the time and that's sort of i do say it when i teach it you need to look at the whole board you know if you want to just concentrate on one area but be aware that will affect other bits if you can the more you can think about once i know it's overwhelming the better off you are and that's the beauty i think of calico is that it must be played as a whole but it was interesting to watch the same process from another new player it's quite funny for me not them yeah <laughs> yeah it's absolutely one you need to plan ahead i think calico it's in a very small group of that kind of slightly abstracted or slow theme puzzle games that I will constantly turn to. It's definitely a high buzz. So moving on, uh, a little card game introduced to myself and Nat by Chris Marling. It's called Basari, and effectively you are playing one of three cards in your hand down to either increase the number of men that you get, then that, that will finish the round and get you points, depending on once you get to 15 of them, get gems into your hand, or get a choice of more cards, or point scoring cards, straight up point scoring. So each card has all three of those on, on there that you're bidding for in a central tableau. You all look at your hand, what am I going for in this? And so you, you might, I might put down gems, Chris might put down going for point scoring, but if Natalie also puts down gems, then me and Natalie now have to have an auction to see who gets the card that we, we were after. So it's that looking around the table, seeing who's going to put down what. What does Chris want to go for this round? What does Natalie want to go for? Or are they going to double bluff because they know I want to go for a certain thing? So it, it's kind of reading the table a little bit. There is a lot of luck in it. And basically you're betting your crystals and your crystals are points as well so how much is that card worth to you little bits of mechanisms in there to make a a very quick playing game have you ever played basari i played it once in 2014 Mm -hmm. i rated it a three out of ten wow okay (laughs) why why who knows why that's lost to time now that's, that's one of life's great mysteries. No one knows. I'm not playing it again, and I don't remember why I hated it. I would say the game isn't brilliant. It's not awful. But what it is is a framework for interaction, a bit of abuse. It's a pub game, as we, we say it quite often. You, you bring it down, it's not going to take up a lot of table space. It's going to play very quickly. You're going to be able to abuse each other. The amount of times that me and Nat put down the same card just became a thing and the abuse that I got was was, was not right. Man. It wasn't right and I was upset and I was looking for you and you weren't anywhere to be seen. That's because you were playing Basari. <laughs> I excluded myself from the area. In fact, no, I'd gone to look for a box of matches. <laughs> I enjoyed the experience. I wouldn't say it was a great game, but I enjoyed the experience and there was a chance to abuse Chris Smiling. So there you go. That's Basari. You tickled Space Station Phoenix. Did. You've played it. You own it? 
I own it. I've played it once. Okay. Well, I've tickled Space Station Phoenix now. I don't own it, and I've played it once. This, much like Project Elite, looks like it's going to be too much. When you get it out there, there's a whole bunch of components. There's a whole bunch of iconography. There's dozens and dozens of wooden bits that are different aliens. There is a player aid, which is a literal wall of text. And this is another one. I've played on the same table as Project Elite, which people walked up and were like, what is that? What is <laughs> all of this stuff? What is going on? Blow me over, Sean, with a feather. It plays very smoothly. Well, would you like to tell people how it plays? <laughs> <laughs> it's action selection. You've got spaceships, and each of your spaceships is, in effect, an action you can take, but so are other players. And on each turn, you're going to move your action duba onto a spaceship of your own or someone else's. You've got to pay more if you aren't someone else's. You've got to pay a link to go on any spaceship. Each spaceship can't be revisited until the player owns it, so it's to do a complete reset. In going to these spaceships, you're going to either be generating resources, you're going to be adding to your own space station, you're going to be recruiting aliens to fill up your space station to either increase your income in resources or in money which you need to spend for actions or to unlock special powers for yourself there's diplomacy you can do which will give you bonuses every time someone else is choosing action which can be very very important to be got a constant drip of, of something in for me what i did was i took points every time i could so I got up one or two diplomacy tracks, and every time someone took that, I just took the points early. Mm-hmm. And I got like a 35-point lead before we got to final scoring, and I ended up winning by about five points. Okay. So I obviously missed out on resources during the game, so I wasn't as efficient during the game. But I kind of looked at it, and Rachel and Ian weren't scoring points, and I was like, I don't usually do. I'm just going to do I'm just going to race. I'm going to go for this. And also I realised that by getting to 40 points is one of the triggers for the end game. The longer I left it, those two are too good. And these multi-layered Euros. I wasn't going to win that way. They're too good at making a long-term plan and then bringing it to fruition. And I was behind in that aspect. So I had to in some way force the scoring to be sooner so that what I had cobbled together in my half-assed plan had a chance of being good enough. And luckily I pulled that off. And it was luck. I don't think they'd let me get away with it next time. I was worried it might be completely solitaire. There is definitely some interaction there. Diplomacy drives a lot of the interaction. I think that there are very clever ways you could manipulate the game in order to make certain action spaces more or less viable for people and more or less available. And the interaction between what actions are available from the spaceships, because you recycle these spaceships to make metal to build your station to get to these score points, but you're limiting your actions when you do do this recycling. Mm-hmm. By manipulating the diplomacy tracks and where you are, and then what actions are able people are forced to use, I think you could do some very clever things. There's a lot of variety, hence this wall of text player aid, which you only actually need to refer to one or two things on there. It's just not very well presented, but it is useful. I saw a large amount of potential in Space Station Phoenix, I'm on sort of a moratorium of buying any game that's not brand new just because I have so many older games to play but this one is testing my patience with regards <laughs> to that I imagine I'm going to break one these days and order it because <laughs> I had a very good time playing Space Station Phoenix I enjoyed it a lot the main mechanism in which I, I kind of fell in love with it and ended up buying it was that sort of push-pull with the how many spaceships and worker placement areas you're going to have 
and when do you scrap them to to actually score your points at your space station itself that was the bit i thought that was really interesting and also in playing it you realize right okay so this produces that certain type of resource but ronan's got it and rachel's got one of those that i can piggyback on their ships so i'll scrap mine there is always a get out of jail but it costs more to go on on the central board and then if Ronan and Rachel notice that I've scrapped my ability to get that particular resource or ability, then they can go, right, first go, yeah, we're taking that. Second go, taking that. And they can block me off. So that was another aspect I really enjoyed of like the tactical play within the game. Yeah, definitely one I will um, I will happily loan it to you, Ronan, or bring it around whenever you want. Beautiful. We pick him up from Heathrow in a week or two. Have it in the car. <laughs> Yeah, a bit, bit of a barrier to entry, Space Station Phoenix. There's a bit of learning in there. You have to there sit is. down and be like, uh, I'm confused for a while. But it does come together surprisingly well. Here is a hateful <laughs> Euro, which only terrible people enjoy. Sat down with Nat and Rachel to play Lorenzo Il Magnifico. And I was I was pretty close to an intervention on Natalie, Sean, about, about two nights of the way through the game. <laughs> Not quite a third of the way, but about two nights of the way through the game, I was I was looking up sort of helplines on my phone. I was reaching out to you. I was like, "Your wife's broken, mate. She's a lunatic. You're going to have to come and get her." <laughs> we played Lorenzo and we with the expansion, and Natalie took the family that gets your stuff by going very far up the faith track. The first excommunication was massively punishing. I can't remember what it was now. Crikey. But it was something that was going to scupper all hope. So Rachel and I were like, we have to get these faith points. So however we do it, by you know, cancel orders or take in, like I took the uh, preacher, which means when you go to the higher levels of any tower, you don't get that little bonus for going there. I was like, worth it. I need to get these faith points. I can't be excommunicated. <laughs> Natalie, not a single faith point. None. Not, 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 I'm like, what is she doing? What's going on? <laughs> right at the point at the end of, of the second round at six, when you have to have a certain number of faith points or the church will excommunicate you and you'll get punished, we had leaders. And Natalie just popped a leader down and said, I can't be excommunicated. Because when you also, when you pay not to get excommunicated, your faith points reset. You score a certain number of points and they reset. She had gold tiles right the way at the top of the faith points. Once she had that leader in play... She's never going to get punished, but also she could just build her faith points up through the whole rest of the game. And she did. And she triggered all of her bonuses on the faith track. And she played like an absolute demon. And uh, she smashed us. She, d- she may have mentioned it a few times. <laughs> she did. She, she, was, she was very, very proud of herself. And rightly so, by the sound of it. Question for you. I have never, ever played with any of the expansions. What do they bring to it? Would you recommend them? I said what they bring to it. I took the expansion thing that meant that all dice were fives to me. Mm. And then those two witches rolled about 28 sixes on about 29 <laughs> rolls. So my family was literally useless. That's what it brought to me. It brings a interesting sort of reverse auction. So this is another thing where we thought Natalie was mental, whereby you get certain powers of families, and then you start off and you bid like the, the lowest level, you get the most initial stuff to give you a kickstart in the game. But then if someone outbids you, they'll take slightly less for that power, and then someone will take slightly less, and you're doing this weird reverse auction. Natalie's coming and went, I'm taking that one because she knew what leader she had already. So she was just like, I'm, I'm rolling. 
I'm, I'm done. I'm more like, what are you doing? That is the worst power. What are you doing? It wasn't the worst power. It wasn't. None. <laughs> this is when the lunacy started early and then actually was like, oh, you're actually a genius. Brilliant. So it gives you these family powers that you've got to do reverse bid for. It gives you these leaders which you can get throughout the game. But you start with four which have got things like that can't get to or whatever. They can have very powerful things but they all have prerequisites. So they will guide you down a certain path to then unlock certain powers. What Rachel did to a lesser extent and I think I did as well in playing less well was that maybe chase leaders for too long that by the time I was able to get them they weren't going to have enough of effect what Natalie did really well well, I want these two leaders not four of them and I'm getting them out early and I'm making them have the most effect on the game and that was good play they also give you an extra tower which gives you a variety so any colour card can come out in that tower depending upon whether you've got fewer or more players there's also an adjustment in price which makes one of the other towers more or less expensive so we were only three so it made the other tower more expensive so they still keep some of the tightness to the game while loosening it a tiny bit it brings secrets in which are bonuses you get you don't know what they're going to be so it gives it mixes it up it certainly feels like it rewards synergy and better so if you're good at lorenzo you're going to enjoy the expansion if you're bad at lorenzo you're going to feel like this has just highlighted my flaws so two of the people at the table really enjoyed it and I felt like I was sitting there naked with a spotlight on me and everyone was pointing out that maybe I could be in better shape <laughs> bless okay so my next game I want to talk about is is one that Ronan has constantly banged the drum about he's, it's one of his sort of classic favourites am I right in saying he's not really a favourite it's just one that's been around a long time and fits a certain yeah. time and place yeah, I think, and it it plays in that sort of time frame. Well, let's tell you what it is. It's it's Maori, and it plays in that sort of time frame where you're kind of thinking, I want something a little bit, little little got a little, <laughs> but I don't want to get too involved. You know what I mean? This is absolute perfect. So, so with with Maori, it's you've got grid of island tiles and, and ship tiles, and you're moving the boat around the edge and. There's a resource of shells that you can move in or move your boat further and you're collecting tiles and you're building islands and you're scoring in various different ways. I'm slowly starting to rock the way Maori plays. First time, I kind of thought, right, I'm just going to go around. I'm not going to waste my time with boats because there'll always be something to take. Uh-uh. The second time, I went absolutely mental for boats and then I had my choice of things, but I spent so long getting boats that I kind of filled up my board with boats and not not other things, so I didn't score as well. And I think it's there's a happy medium in there, Roland. I'm, I'm doing a, a talk about how to play the game well, and I think I'm getting there. I, that's progress. I like that. That's progress. <laughs> Did you play mean or nice? There's two ways of playing Maori. You can play like I'm doing my own thing and everything's cool, or you can be like. This is slightly worse than me, but completely screws you. <laughs> we play quite mean. <laughs> this is a thing in Maori. If you leave the the ship on a corner, if you go round the corner, you're, you're negating that person's choice to get the, the corner tile. So it's just making sure you go round the corner if you have the option to go round the corner so they can't get the tile that they're on. So it's just limiting their choices and... We did bring out the volcanoes very early, so that blocked a few things as well. I think a little bit mean, not not brutal. 
you played it a little bit right then, not perfectly right. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a love sitcom favourite. It pops up. It fits into like a half hour time frame. And like you say, you are thinking and interacting and it is very good for what it does. Now, I played one of your games before returning it to you, which I've reviewed recently. Comic Hunters, the drafting set collection Marvel theme game, in which you're trying to put together sets of comic books of different characters, but also with different sort of features to them. You draft the comics in and you pay for your comics with the comics also you've drafted. It got plenty of attention. We're sitting on top of the raised area downstairs. People walking past going, oh, what's that? Oh, what's that? What's that? And I was like, it's coming in English. It's coming in English. It's coming in English. I must have said it about a hundred <laughs> times. It's coming in English. Yeah, it will be. What's it called? Comic Hunters? I should have put a sign up above my head. We played three player. The thing with three player is that because there's a limited number of heroes within the game, you do tend to end up with very similar sets to each other and then the game tends to be decided on the features like is it a number one is it a first appearance is it a new costume you know the, the, the sort of symbols down the left hand side of the cards I didn't do very well at that and I didn't do very well at the game but Comic Hunters as we said before is always a good smooth pleasant experience in which you interact for a while over the draft and then you go back into your own little world to decide what sets to put out and then you interact again for a while and then you come back into your own for a while and I think that's part of the way why it's quite mentally relaxing because it's very clear I'm engaging with you I'm now disengaged and I get to think for myself and now I'm engaging <laughs> with you and I disengage and you haven't got to pay attention for the whole time but you're also not ignoring each other and that's part of what makes it a smooth nice social experience it's a good game you do have to realise that there is again going to be some luck in the draw if you're the first player to go at the grid and there's a nice setup for you happy days but you're going to take it and it's going to be wonderful and sometimes you're the last player to go at the big grid and there's nothing of note left so I think it's an, it's worth noting that but Comic Hunt as the theme as we've said before is absolutely key for me in, in this game I just love the theme so I want to know if you have ever had a bad game of your next game. No. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so, Clover, I played it multiple times. It was played multiple, multiple times. It is the go-to filler. We set up sort of like a hot seat table in the uh, in the dining room gaming area where people were either waiting to start a game, just finished a game, waiting for someone to go to dinner. It was like, just grab a seat and join in. Oh, and if it's your turn, you write some words down. Otherwise, just join in and doing the clues. People who had never played before, sit down, you'll work it out. <laughs> it just worked as that for a while. And one of the things that this was that I didn't spend enough time with lots and lots of different people. I love the time I spent with everyone, but I wish I'd seen more people more often. This is one of the occasions where lots of people just walk up and chat to you and join in and drop in and out. And it was just a lovely sort of little bit of time at this big table. What was most interesting and most came to light for me about So Clover was it became a diagnostic tool, Sean. Okay, go on, pray tell. It was a diagnostic tool to find out that some people, some people that you've known for a long time and that you trust and love and know your family are actual psychopaths. Now, it would be hard for me to mention any names, Shireen, but some people, when they play So Clover, Shireen, turn out to be absolute frigging lunatics and I have no idea what's going on inside their heads, Shireen. Poor Shireen. What did she do to you? What? What where that may come from? What are you talking about? Anyway, Tribes of the Wind. Tribes of the Wind, yeah. It's another one of those uh, games that I've been kind of keeping my eye on 
wanted to try before I sort of took the plunge and buy. And again, I had the opportunity at LobsterCon to play it. So what Tribes of the Wind is, it's a game where you are trying to clear pollution away, put out machines and build villages and do nice things. And the way it's driven is you've got a player board is full of pollution and you've got to clear that player board before you can put tiles down and villages down. To do that, what's driving it all is you have a, a set of cards in front of you. And there's four different colour cards and each of them will target towards a certain power, whether it's getting more workers onto your board so it, to build the villages and the wind turbines, etc. Whether it's clearing that space, whether it's taking more cards. In that lies an issue that I had with the game. In that all the cards will say, so if I've got a red card and it says, right, if you have more red cards than the other players combined then you can take the action. There's normally a, a better and a worse action to take. Another one might say, if you have less blue cards than everybody else combined, you can take this action. Too often, we found that we couldn't play any of the cards in our hand. Now, there is a get out of jail. You can spend three cards on your tableau to take a poker on the board and place it on the board. But that happened too often. And we were getting to the point, where, where's the get out of jail card if we use all of those? That was my first issue with the game. What have you heard about it? Well, mostly not great vibes. And then occasionally some people who adore it. And I've never quite got to the bottom of what is the hook for certain people. Like Most times I can be like, I don't agree with you, but I can see why you love that game. Not Northern Pacific, that's awful. But most <laughs> games. But for Tribes of the Wind... Just from my own, I read the rule book. We did a, a preview for it for Essen. I've been adjacent to it. Rachel's played it. You've played it. It's been played at the next table to me. I never saw anyone having fun. There wasn't a lot of chat going on. And What you've got is you chain off the two people either side of you in a multiplayer game. We played a two-player game, so there is uh, the card draft in the middle becomes also the second player that you would chain off in terms of have I got more cards or, or less cards or is there exactly this amount of blue cards out there? And even with that problem, let's say that problem didn't exist because it was the get-out-of-jail card and we never, we never quite maximised it. We found that halfway through, we were just doing the same actions over and over again and there was just four things really that you were doing it just became a little bit repetitive with that frustration of sometimes going i can't do anything so now i have to take three cards throw them away they were really good cards i was hoping to use them but i can't and take this token put it on my board which gives me a little bonus and i get three oh you always replenish up to five cards so you get three more cards back in your hand what happens if those three you can't use? Like, it happened more often than I would deem comfortable. But I can see chaining off people. Oh, you've got this. Yeah, you've got this. And now I can use that. And I'll save that card because I know the next card coming out is blue. And Nathan or Ronan's going to pick that card up. And now there's going to be more blue. So I can play my card. I can see things like that happening. But it didn't rock with me at all. Fair enough. I'll tell you a great game. Tell me a great game, Ronan. Cryptid. I saw you playing it and I saw people enjoying it. Play one normal and one hard game of Cryptid. I think you'll find if you're an incredibly good-looking, sophisticated gentleman, you'll win the hard one. Whoop, whoop! 
I was there for the closing moments of the game, and you you didn't rub it in anyone's faces. At no, all. I took yeah, it no. very calmly <laughs> and in my stride, and just kept it down that I had won the hard one, Sean. <laughs> I've decided we're cryptid. So encrypted, everyone's got a clue, and it's a very abstract thing, and it tells them where an animal can or cannot live on this modular board of different terrain and different animal types and different structures and stuff. And between the clues, there's only one valid hex on the whole board where which suits everyone's clue, and you don't know everyone else's clues, and you're trying to work it out. The only way to work it out is from their yes-no answers, where they'll put cubes down say it can't live here, and they'll put a disc down say it could live here according to my own rule. And you're trying to get everyone's discs in one spot. You say, I think it lives there. If you get everyone's disc, you've won. Great. Ignore the people you're playing with, Sean. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm ignoring them. Yeah. They don't matter. I don't care about people. They're dead to me. <laughs> All the information That's is on the board. your philosophy in life, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there you go. Look how happy I am. All the information is on the board. It doesn't even matter whose cube is who. It doesn't matter who's asking the question of who and why. I don't care. I've decided. You've got to cut the noise out encrypted and just look at the board because all the information is there. And just by looking at the board, I didn't even know who was red and who was yellow and who was both types of blue that are the same. I didn't know and I didn't care. I just looked at the board, Sean, and I became very zen and I became in the moment and I almost transcended into a different mental state of just going I don't care who you are stop talking just put cubes down and I'll work this out <laughs> I called out all the rules without having a clue whose rule was which <laughs> and that's how I won afterwards I was like yeah it can't be within two of cougars it's at least three within a black it can't be on blue I had that it couldn't be on the, and I, I know that these terrains are excluded I don't know who excluded them or how but I know that somehow and they were like you got all the rules without getting all... The- How did you just do that? Mate, it was a different level. It was like high-level Buddhism going on. It was like some Shaolin cryptid went on. I just want to say I'm awesome. Let's move on. Cryptid. Almost as good as I am. Still never played it, and... Uh, yeah, well done, Riley. You're the best. Thanks. Thanks, mate. <laughs> After the, the severe beatings I suffered at the hands of people this that weekend. Right. Concordia. Yes. It was very high up on your list. It wasn't on my list. For top 100. I love it. Love it. We got it out, and the other two players, Vicar and Carl, both knew it very well. And we're like, yeah, we know how to play that. And then we started playing it with, we've forgotten how to play this. Please tell us again how to play it. So from saying, no, we don't need the rules to teach. I like, you think you know it. My copy's so worn, I don't even bring it anymore because it'll fall apart. (laughs) Or this copy was a work copy from someone, and the the board was was modular. You know that the board isn't modular in Concordia. (laughs) It came in pieces. Anyway, so we did need a little rules refresher. It all came flooding back to me how I play Concordia. Set a plan, a strong, solid opening, follow plan, flounder badly and have everyone <laughs> race past you and finish last standard concordia play from over here i got obsessed with playing all my cards every cycle for no reason i'm really bad at sort of seizing the moment in concordia and and being like right take your cards back right time to do that i'm also very bad to adjust into what's happened on the map i set my plan and then things change and I'm like no but that was my plan and then I get caught in this midway between three different plans and I am an awful Concordia player I also forgot to focus on the scoring you know the cards you draft into your hand allegedly not your deck whatever I don't care if you get lots of the same sort of scoring you can do very well I just had piddling like three times four 
for every single score or someone will be like that's eight times 42 so I've just got 300 <laughs> points I'm like what did you score again uh, 12 again you scored 12 for every category that's correct that's why I'm last you've been piss poor at it aside yeah what did you think oh it's great it's a really good game I think the reason I have not bounced this up into top 100 is because I'm so bad at it that it's slightly frustrating to have my mortality exposed so soon after transcended <laughs> to being a cryptid god <laughs> like just crashing back down to earth back in the mud with you peasants wasn't happy but nice. if we're going to talk about the greatest games of all time Shawnee had a good Sunday Surely had a very good Sunday. Surely got to play Eclipse. Yay! So, not to labour a point about it being a great game, which it is, a couple of things happened. One, we played with the alien races. Now, normally, I'm either relearning the game or playing with new people completely. So we play with the Terrans. And the Terrans are all the same. You just make your own tactics as you go. When you play with the alien races, they are very focused in, in certain areas. They, they really nudge you strongly in a direction. And myself and Terry really leaned into it. Nathan to a certain degree, but I'll, and I'll come on to it. There were two guys who were new at the game, and they didn't lean into their alien race. So that's something that came out of it. That if you do play with the alien races, you're going to do a lot better if you lean into their strong point. Could they not have played human while you did alien races? They could have, yeah. yeah. It was all set up, as you know. <laughs> I arrived, the game was ready to go. I literally sat down and they started. So I had nothing to do with it. Fair enough, fair enough. Seems a bit mean. I've played Eclipse a few times and I played at the last lobster cup with yeah. an alien race and I had no idea how to make use of it at all. I was just like, okay, sure. Mine was really easy. I think Terry's was harder to actually grok what they did. But no, no, it's she, fine for you lot, but those poor boys have yeah, never played yeah. before. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, have, Give them absolutely. a break. So I just looked at mine as being the Klingons. They were really, build ships really quickly, overpower their ships really quickly. I just built a massive fleet, which is quite unusual for me because normally I'm turtling the corner boy. Don't touch me. I don't want to be hurt. Nobody come near me. So I had to actually go against my, my instincts and go out. Speaking and of turtles, more. did you mm-hmm. see Turtle Sean? In the, on the BBC News this week. Turtle Sean? Yeah. I did not. BBC or just Google Chonkasaurus Turtle. <laughs> You'll enjoy <laughs> that. a massive turtle eating him. I just as him, he's like, Chong, he's like, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> And two fellas from Chicago were in a kayak and they saw it and I can't do the Chicago accent. Like, look at that boy, have you ever heard of salad? <laughs> <laughs> It reminded me of you uncannily. Thank you. Thank you for that. Anyway, uh, Terry's Terry's faction was all about spreading out really quickly. She could explore twice and she could move into lots of different areas. And her downfall, if you like, was that instead of the planet defending itself, which you have to attack the planet to be able to place your dobber on there and take over it, normally hers just withered and died. So she was able to move out massively quickly and take over loads of area, but she could be quickly pushed back. And we did not discover Terry's ability. Well, we knew of Terry's ability, but we didn't realise how well she was using it until about halfway through the game. Of course, old table talk Terry here. Everyone, look, Terry's spreading out. <laughs> so I put did you focus- call yourself table talk Terry when talking about someone else called Terry? 
Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think. I just that. got really confused, and I know. What yeah, you're talking yeah, I about. Could, yeah, no, you were right to be confused. Table talk, Ted. Table talk, Ted. There you go. And of course, I pushed the deflected everything onto while building up a massive fleet of my. It's own. amazing that I get accused of that at all times when you're the one who actually does it. <laughs> That's the brilliant. Not Sean. Sean's a gentleman. He never manipulates us like that. that. Oh, look at Ronan. He's taking the mick out of you. I was asleep. What happened? (laughs) I literally fell asleep. Who's talking? I didn't have spoken. So that's the first point. I I really let into it, and I ended up crushing Terry a little bit in a couple of battles that we had. Nathan spotted a few little. He he got a wormhole going. Let me double check. In what Klingon annals are there great stories about the Klingons going and using weed killer? (laughs) <laughs> this is not the weed. glorious war I was promised <laughs> a weed whacker <laughs> I'm talking about you whacking <laughs> so the set, that was the first thing where we really le- leaned into it and the other guys didn't the other thing I wanted to talk about was that there is a big learning curve to Eclipse and I didn't realise how big until I played with the guys who were slightly new to it and they grasped certain aspects of it, but they didn't tie it all together. So, as I said, they didn't really lean into their faction. They didn't realise the importance of getting a good balance of all the resources to be able to build ships, to be able to move, to be able to pay for your actions at the end of the round. So they kind of floundered a little bit. So there's the two learning curves for me that I took out of this game. But a fantastic game. And we played next to a table who took double the amount of time we did. Yay! I think you played Eclipse rolling right. <laughs> you were done in like, did? what, 20 minutes you were done? It wasn't... Yeah, something like that. No, it, it was a... For a five-player ga- game, it wasn't too bad. It did not outstay its welcome, really. Three hours? Two and a half hours? About three. Was, I was quite amazed. I said you were going to be there till like 16 evening. I was like, no, nah, he's gone. <laughs> Forget about that, brother. Right. Final game of the con was Babylonia. At this point, it's quite clear my brain had melted <laughs> from having a long week of work because uh, Vicar and Hella turned up, Sean. You probably didn't see it because you didn't turn up till Sunday evening, but yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's play Babylonia. I can teach this. I got it out, got all the components out, looked at it and went, I can't teach this. I forgot that to play Babylonia. I love that. I played it like 10 times this year. My brain was gone. You absolutely <laughs> got it. So they had a terrible teaching of it, which is a very simple mechanically game. Then I did the gentlemanly thing by racing into a lead, <laughs> um, which caused, predictably, me to get absolutely massacred. Because they all just, oh, I've got a spare move. What should I do? Screw Ronan. No, naturally. Just, just boom. Brilliant. You can't you can't do anything about Babylonia when three players decide that you're dead. Uh, it was interesting to see it. Hella didn't know the game at all. She started slow. And she kind of lost hope a bit. Because sometimes the things you set up, it depends when they're going to pay fruition. Hers all paid fruition towards the end. And she was racing to catch up. And she ended up right amongst the thick of it. The winner in the end was Vicar, who made a little northern thing that looked rubbish. But then she very cleverly branched out of it across rivers to connect it, to score it several times. It looked like it was just its own little thing off by itself. There was the Babylonia thing of a rush on farms. So there's certain farms that score a certain number of points that's fixed. There's other farms that score no points equal to the number of cities that have been taken. So that in every game, there's a tipping point where someone grabs one of those farms and everyone else goes, oh, they're worth 11 points now. Wow. And that was quite funny to see that it just, because it kind of disrupts all sorts going on the board where people are just grabbing for you. You're like, oh God, that's changed a few different things. It is a fabulous game. 
I think they all enjoyed it, despite the terrible teach. If you're listening, you're probably not. I'm sorry, my brain was just gone. And I also felt slightly violated by the amount of abuse I was getting from three sides as, uh, as I was definitely ganged up on. My mind has gone a little bit blank here, Rodan. Is Babylonia a fairly recent one by Knizia? Yeah, it's the one that's akin between Blue Lagoon and Samurai sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, where you have farmers and you've got different nobles and you surround ziggurats to give you powers right, yeah. or connect cities to different, mm-hmm. like your nobles come three types, yeah. So it is, it is just dropping discs on a board, attempting to make sort of connections in order to maximise your scoring. Like I say, mechanically, very simple. I made a dog's dinner of it, but it is, and it's in my top 100 and it was fabulous. It's going to be evergreen. I'm going to be playing Babylonia forever. I think it's a very, very good game. And very good. I had a very, very good con. I had a very good con too. It was very chilled out, very relaxed. Good food. I spent time with good people and lobster con. Yeah, it's it's a great time. It's the best. And what, honestly, amongst all the good games, possibly one of my favourite times was after that game of Oh My Brain, going to the diner, eating far too much food as well, and then <laughs> just Rachel and I going and sitting on the beach and just like people watching and chilling out in the sunshine for a while. It was just great. So, Sean, thank you very much. Ronan, thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. This is the Game Pit Podcast, and we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to catch us on social media, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. And if you want to contact us please do we we do really love to hear from you but not a lot of people do so contact us ask us questions talk to us we are thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com and we've also got a guild on board game geek thank you very much for listening to the game pit music by e aaron Boy, 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 boy. boy.